0: Welcome to the Asset Management Friday's edition of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. Your hosts, Gary Lipsky and Kyle Mitchell, have more than 45 years of combined experience in operations and management, and more than 25 years of real estate investing experience. This show focuses on educating syndicators and apartment owners on how to build systems, manage their properties more efficiently, and become a best-in-class operator. 100% street talk. Let's jump in.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to our Asset Management Friday segment of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate podcast. I'm your co-host, Kyle Mitchell, also joined by Gary Lipsky. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook group, Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate. All right. Today on the show, we have Brandon Hall. Brandon, how's it going? Good. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Gary, for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. If you can start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do. So I'm a CPA. I run a CPA firm called the Real Estate
2: CPA. And we, we work with real estate investors, syndicates, and funds across the country. We have about 500 clients, 15 employees. We are 100% remote, which, is, uh, which has helped us out during these insane times. But yeah, yeah, just a mid-sized CPA firm working with real estate investors. Great. So let's dive right in. What are the three biggest things an asset manager should know from a tax perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. So from a tax perspective, the very first thing is you have to understand what you're trying to do with the deal. So, The first thing is understanding, are we trying to tax optimize this deal or are we fine not tax optimizing? So that can answer a lot of questions for you. It can answer whether or not we cost seg properties. It can answer how we are going to step through the expenditures for CapEx and things like that. Are we gonna analyze them in detail to determine if they are repairs or if they are CapEx? So that's the very first thing is just understanding what are the tax attributes of the deal that you're trying to push to your investors? Maybe what type of investors do you have in your deal? Are these guys real estate professionals that they can claim the losses if they run an aggregation on their own personal level? Are they like a bunch of Silicon Valley guys that have a full-time job that can never claim the losses? That'll help you just sort of understand what the tax strategy should ultimately be. Are we trying to maximize losses or do we just want to break even from a tax perspective? The second most important thing, in my opinion, as it pertains to taxes, is understanding the 2013 tangible property regulations. And you don't have to like Know it inside and out, but just the 2013 tangible property regulations are going to tell you how you can deduct expenditures. Can you capitalize, should you be capitalizing them, or can you deduct them as repair? For example, if I have a 10-unit apartment complex, all units are under one roof, all units have their own HVAC unit. If I replace one HVAC unit, uh, most CPAs even, and, and asset managers and property managers, they will capitalize the the HVAC unit to the balance sheet. But when you look at the 2013 tangible property regs, you realize uh, the one HVAC unit, if we look at the entire HVAC system, that one HVAC unit was not a material improvement to the HVAC system as a whole. So I can actually deduct it. And, and it goes back again to, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to maximize losses or are we just trying to break even? So you get some flexibility there, but just understanding where you can get that flexibility from is really key. And then the last thing is the de minimis safe harbor. That is, it's incredible. And that's also within the 2013 tangible property regs, but it's incredible to me how few people understand the de minimis safe harbor or even know that it exists. And that just keeps you from capitalizing like like $500 appliances and just small things like that. You just write it all off. You elect the de minimis Safe Harbor and you call it a day. So for a syndicator, should they be reaching out to you, you know, at the very beginning of the deal and talking about if they want to maximize taxes or, or does that come around at at tax time and, and you can worry about it then? For our clients, we want to be brought in during due diligence. So before, before you even have the property, we want to look at the operating agreement. Uh, the operating agreement has a lot of tax attributes in it how do you how do you split distributions how do you split gain how do you split income and losses how how, how is all of that allocated and what does that mean for the limited partners and the general partners and how should your overall tax strategy then come into play so it, it really all starts with that operating agreement and we want to be brought in to assist with that build out but during that due diligence phase before the syndicate even closes on the deal we typically already have a rough idea of the tax strategy that we want to employ. You know, it's not necessarily a document that we're going to hand to the sponsors by any means, but it is sitting down with the sponsors and going over questions such as, hey, are we going to go cost seg? Do we want to maximize the losses that are coming out of this deal? If so, if so, here's what you need to look for whenever you're doing any sort of CapEx or repairs. And do we need to be electing out of, out of business interest limitations? Those are typically the three things that we focus on. Well, you just mentioned business limitations. Let, why don't you explain that for our listeners? Sure. So the business interest limitations actually has just been modified as of last week with the CARES Act, but it's a limitation on interest that you are allowed to deduct if you are basically a qualifying business within that section of the code. So that's a big deal for syndicates because we syndicates obviously have a lot of interest from their mortgages, and that would be considered business interest. Now, when the business interest limitations came out, the real estate industry didn't really pay a bunch of uh, much attention to it. but But when you sort of like do more research and you really understand how it works and how it interplays with other sections of the code, you actually realize that almost every single syndication has to worry about the business interest limitations. And the reason why is there's a provision of the code that says, if you are a tax shelter, you are subject to the business interest limitations. And then so you you go down the code a little bit and you realize, That a tax shelter is a group, is a partnership that splits, that allocates its losses to limited partners, and the limited partners make up more than 35% of the deal. So if I'm a GP and I have 30, well, if I'm a GP and I have less than 65% of the deal, and that's the GP stake, the limited partners have 35% or more and I have losses from a cost seg or whatever, I just have losses and I allocate those losses to the limited partners who own, again, more than 35% of the deal, then I am subject to the business interest limitations. Uh, We saw a lot of mistakes in 2018 from CPAs that didn't even know that that was a thing that they had to worry about, but now they do. And we still see mistakes. I was just reviewing another tax return the other day where the CPA said, we're not subject to it and we're, we're not electing out of it. Well, if they were audited, they would be in for a rude awakening. So the nice thing for syndicates and funds is that you can elect out of the business interest, you can elect out of the business interest limitations as an electing real property trader business. And you do want to do that nine times out of 10. So that's what most of our clients have done. They just elected out of the business interest limitations. Not a big deal, but the problem when you elect out is you are now depreciating everything over the ADS system, which is a longer class life than the GDS system. So depreciation is lower. However, it's not going to affect your cost segregation studies. You can still do a cost seg study. You can still get the 5, 7, 15 year property and allocate out of the ADS. I think it's like 30 years. So, so you would elect out on year two, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the timing of the election definitely, well, the, the timing of the election is important and it varies deal to deal. It might be year one, it might be year two, it might be a future year. You just have to figure out what it is going to be for your your specific syndication. Yeah. All right. A lot of really good information there. One of the biggest questions I get from investors is, is that K1? You know, And so we, we try to be proactive on explaining it, but maybe you can kind of, as best you can uh, you know I'm, I'm given this means of, of walking through a, a real real briefly what a k1 looks like so first, a k1 is the partner's summary of the partnerships activity. so if all three of us here are partners, we prepare a form ten sixty five that's the partnership tax return, and then each one of us will receive a k1 which is a supplemental form to the form ten sixty five So we'll receive a K-1 that summarizes the partnerships activity and then allocates it to us per our ownership stakes. So the very first, like the most important thing at the very beginning of any K-1 that you receive, um, on the left-hand side of the K-1, if you're looking at it, you're gonna see your ownership stake. You need to make sure that that's correct. You're also gonna see any sort of liabilities that are allocated to you, either recourse or non-recourse. You need to make sure that that's correct. And then you also need to review the capital account analysis. So that capital account analysis is going to show you what you put into the deal, what you're taking out of the deal in terms of distributions, and then what, how the net profit or losses have affected your capital account. That's critical because sometimes syndications switch CPAs, and some CPAs don't actually carry that information over as effectively as they should. And it's a problem because whenever the partnership liquidates at some later point, and they're paying out gains. They're gonna. They have to first drop your capital account to zero dollars. So if I put fifty thousand bucks into a partnership, then my capital account's fifty thousand bucks. If the partnership liquidates and it has a gain, first it has to pay me back my fifty thousand bucks before it's allowed to distribute gain to anybody else. So, you need to track your capital account balance from a year to year basis. That's really the most important thing for limited partners to understand. It's also an important thing for syndicates to understand the the, the sponsors. Make sure that you get a CPA that's going to do a good job tracking that information because we we have had clients, we've had limited partners where we look at the capital accounts from year to year and stuff looks off. We we do a deeper dive and we realize, oh, wow, we we actually found a guy, um, they had. Think it was like about sixty thousand dollars that they had made a mistake on on this capital account. It's crazy, crazy stuff. So make sure that you you track it on a year to year basis. Make sure that that K one is correct. On the right hand side, that's going to be all the like the income information, the loss information. So typically, if you're investing in a syndicate, you're going to look at box two. That's net rental real estate income or loss. And then in box twenty, you're going to see other information. In box twenty, the other information is going to be like QBI information. Is it going to be subject to twenty percent pass through? or is it going to hurt your other QBI, right? And so if I I run a CPA firm, if my CPA firm nets 200,000 bucks, that's a positive QBI, 200,000 bucks. So that's subject to a 20% deduction, right? I can take a $40,000 deduction on my positive 200k QBI. But if I invest in a syndicate and the syndicate says that I lost 100k, and that 100k is a negative QBI adjustment, and I'm not a real estate professional, I can't take the loss right? It becomes suspended. It's a passive loss. It becomes suspended. Now we're looking at the passive activity loss limitations, but because it's a negative QBI adjustment, it actually reduces my business income. So I can't take the loss, but I also get a lower 20% passive deduction. And in this case, it reduces it by half. So you have to box 20 on the K1. We'll show you that information, but yeah, it's just summary statement that shows you your allocable share of the partnership activities. And the biggest thing that you need to make, make sure that you very clearly track is that capital account on an ongoing basis. Yeah, good stuff. Kyle, why don't you, uh, we could be talking about
0: this for hours and we'd love it, but Kyle, why don't you take us away?
2: Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships, so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to Quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation.
1: Sure, we ask every last, every guest this last question. I know it doesn't pertain to taxes, but I know you also do your own syndication. So, what is your asset management superpower? My
2: asset management superpower, probably that tax advice. So, I on our own syndications, I'm not the one that's managing the asset. That's what my partner does. But the combination of that, his skills of financial engineering, and then my skills of tax, I think makes us, makes us a pretty good team.
1: Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, Brandon, thanks for coming on the show and talking to us about taxes. Like Gary said, we can talk about this for hours and hours. So we may have to and bring you back in because there's so much detail. But a couple of things I learned is understanding the 2013 tangible property regs. And then also you want to, in most cases, elect out of the business interest limitations. But definitely talk to your CPA about that and make sure they understand it as well. So if you can tell the listeners where they can find out more about you. Yeah, www.therealestatecpa.com. And we've got a lot of
2: content, blog, podcast, real estate CPA podcast is real popular. And then if you want to connect
1: with me on LinkedIn, just search Brandon Hall CPA and I should pop right up. All right. To all of our listeners, thanks for listening in. If you do like this episode, please head over to iTunes and Stitcher. Give us a like, subscribe and review so we can continue to grow this podcast and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks everyone. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate group on Facebook so you can reach Kyle and Gary and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, go to aptcapitalgroup.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Gary and Kyle, sign up on the contact page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.